0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. All right, you ready for God's Word? Let's do it. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9 verse 1 is where we're at uh, today. And uh, as you're doing that, uh, did you know that you can snow ski in Israel? I mean, ski, snowboard, you can. I I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the Holy Land, but maybe by what you've seen on the news or what you read in your Bible, you kind of get the impression that it's a desert wilderness, right? And it it actually pretty much is, but there is a mountain uh, on the north side, Mount Hermon, that uh, tops out. It's up over 9,000 feet, and it does get snow, And some, you know, entrepreneur has put a ski resort up there. You can actually ski and snowboard. I'm sure they probably have to make some of their own snow up there, but uh, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? You can go to Israel. You can go to the Holy Land. You can see, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane. You can go to uh, the Temple Mount. You can uh, visit the Sea of Galilee. And you can also, if you go at the right time, you can go skiing or snowboarding. Like many Texans will make the journey up to Colorado or New Mexico and ski this winter. But even more amazing than that, y'all, even more amazing than that, than a blanket of white snow atop Mount Hermon is what happened there the night Jesus took his disciples up Mount Hermon. Even more amazing for uh, Christ would, but for a moment, he 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 would pull open the curtains of his humanity to give us a glimpse of his glory, his brilliantly terrifying glory. Last week, we were at the base of the mountain. We saw Peter confess Christ. Uh, he confessed Jesus is the Christ. And then what did Peter do? Then he turned around and he offended Jesus. When he neglected God's plan, he rejected it rather. And then Jesus issued that rattle, r- radical requirement to all who would come after him If anyone would come after me, what, was, what, what must we do? deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ. And so three disciples now are brave enough to follow Jesus up the mountain. Do you wanna read it together? Let's do that. Look at your copy of the Bible here. Mark nine, verse one through 13. I'm gonna read it for us. How would I do that right now? It says this, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, truly I say to you, there are some standing here We'll stop there. This is God's word for God's people. Would you just bow? Would you pray with me now? I sense that we need to pray. God in heaven, we just pause now to say that apart from you, we can't understand this passage. That I need your help to communicate it, that uh, these people need your help to hear it, but all of us, God, are dependent upon you by your spirit. And so, Lord, we we just lift our minds to you. We turn our attention to you. We think of the person on our left and on our right, God, and we just ask that you would do your work in their heart too. We pray for our own souls, God, that uh, uh, whatever might be distracting this morning, whatever we might have come off of this Weekend or this past week, God, that uh, we would uh, be able to hear your word and filter our experiences, our circumstances through the word of God today. And Lord, would you uh, give me grace now, grace to uh, deliver your word today. One more time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 What a cool passage we are in Mark 9, right? What a phenomenal passage here. It begins with some uh, some real talk by Jesus, right? You know, verse one is, is maybe a little bit uh, tricky. It's a connecting verse. To the, those that uh, uh, way back, you know, five 600 years ago, when they uh, put the verse and, and chapter markers in there, they, they kind of put it there. But nine, one maybe could connect, actually, probably better connects to uh, the end of chapter eight there. But, but it really is this connection now to the preceding scenes of Jesus' telling telling uh, his disciples, to telling the crowd what it takes to follow him, and then connecting it to what is about to happen six days later, as they would go up the mountain and see Jesus uh, transformed before their very eyes. And so as he's talking to them, he says, truly, if you have the King James Version, it might say, verily. It, uh, it could literally be translated, amen, but what he's saying is, hey, listen up, I'm about to tell you something true, Now, that's not to say that other things that Jesus says aren't true or somehow less true than the statement he's about to make there, but it's one of those statements that says, hey, listen up. Some of you among us are going to uh, see something beyond your wildest imagination. There are some here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming with power. And so what is he referring to here? He's referring to what they would see or what they see up on the mountain, these three disciples who would see a royal splendor. They would see the king exposed in all of his radiant glory. They would come in these six days later. They see the changed Christ and they themselves are radically changed from there on. Because see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we look to and we listen to the beloved son, we are changed if you're taking notes if you're uh, just wanting to uh, check out you want to okay get to the point preacher here's what it is it is when we look and listen to the beloved son we are changed these three disciples are able to go up the mountain they see the changed christ and they themselves are changed there's no jokes there's no gimmicks this is a guarantee that when our eyes are locked and our ears tuned into the sun we won't be the same we won't be the same, so, so let's do just that. Let's look to the sun. Let's look to the sun and, and walk our way through this passage. You know, in, in typical Mark fashion, if you remember as we've been journeying through sequential pas- passage after passage of this book of Mark, he records some spectacular events in some pretty, you know, rather nonchalant ways. You know, Mark would, he would make a terrible sportscaster. You know, he just kind of says things and just kind of like records, you know, hey, Jesus, yeah, he, they went up this high mountain and then he was transfigured. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, Ho- Jose Altuve he hits a walk off Homer and wins the World Series. You know, okay. <laughs> Too soon, maybe? Too soon for some? That's right, no, there's like, there should be some excitement, right? We need some color commentary about what is happening. And, and Mark's just, he's just straight to the point. He says, six days, Jesus takes some dudes up, Peter, James, and John. They go up a high mountain by themselves and he's transfigured before them. Really kind of nonchalant. It's like, what, this is, this is awesome. What do, you, what do you mean he was transfigured? What, what is this even talking about? Well, transfigured is maybe a, a, a goofy word. It's like transformed or it just really means it's changed. He, he was, he was uh, physically altered before them kind of like a transformer you know just kind of driving down the, car, the road as this little car and then all of a sudden it <laughs> becomes something completely different the root of this word here is is actually where we get our word metamorphosis okay children students here what what is in what creature goes through metamorphosis anybody know what's what's up just lay it on me come on Hey, there we go. High fives, A pluses for all you students there. All right, butterflies, right? And what are, butterflies they start out as? Caterpillar. Caterpillars, that's right. They just start out as caterpillars. They go through this uh, transformation, this transfiguration, a metamorphosis, and then they become a beautiful butterfly. And apparently they go up this mountain and then Jesus transfigures. He changes before their very eyes. And I guess chapter verse three, rather, Mark does add a little commentary, I guess, for us. What does he say there? He, he says that Jesus became his clothes, rather became radiant, intensely white, a, a, a dazzling white, blindingly so. You ever had like a light shine in your eyes, so bright and you're like, whoa. Had that happen actually a couple times at man camp. Some of y'all got trucks with those like bright halogen lights like you know, or other guys with headlamps on, they just turn and they're just like right in your eyes. This bright, blinding white, so white. Look what it says here. I, you gotta love Mark's like, little like nonchalant, little details in here. They were so white as no one on earth could bleach them. I know some of your, mom, your super moms in here you are like, yeah, right, I bet I can bleach them, right? <laughs> You should see my kids' clothes. That's right but they are so bright, so white, no wonder they were terrified, as we're told in verse six here. You know, you would be terrified too if one of your friends said, hey, let's go up to a high mountain, it's pitch black at night, and then one of your uh, your friends starts glowing brighter than your truck headlights, and then two other dudes appear out of nowhere in the darkness, you would be terrified too. Wouldn't you? Yeah. For sure, they're just there and then who shows up? We're told that it's Elijah and Moses. They're talking with Jesus. Luke tells us in his book that they were talking about Jesus' departure. They were talking about his death, the events that were, just, uh, that were about to happen. And so now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus has just told them that he would be uh, rejected, that he would suffer, that he would die and be buried and then rise again and now Elijah and Moses come and they're talking about it. I, I, you would be terrified. I'm actually kind of curious though, how they knew that it was Elijah and Moses. ever thought about that? Like how'd they know, were there introductions? And she's like, oh, hey, let me introduce you to my friends. This is Elijah and meet Peter, James, John, this Moses. I don't know, we're not told, we're just kind of left to speculate. Maybe they had like some picture scrolls for kids, you know, with the, this Moses and Elijah and they just knew and they matched up. I don't know. I just, sorry, pastoral musings about his studying. But I don't know, I just, I don't know. How are we gonna know when we get to heaven also, right? You ever wonder that? Like when we get to heaven, how are we gonna know these, these people? Is there gonna be like an introduction line, like just for the first half of eternity, we're just gonna start meeting everybody? Oh, hey, the Apostle Paul, okay, nice, nice. I don't know, but. Name tags. Name tags. <laughs> Maybe there will be, heavenly name tags. Maybe it's on our crowns, our you know, metaphorical crowns, our names will be there but why? I I don't know. They do know. But why these two people? You ever wondered that? Why these two people are here with Jesus as he is transformed, as he is a a dazzling bright light? Why these two people? Why not Adam? Why not Abraham, Joseph, King David, Daniel? Why, Why these two guys? You ever thought of that? Why are these two here showing up on the mountain? because they are the representatives of the law and the prophets. See, this passage here, Jesus being transformed before them, as we look to the beloved son, remember, he was just proclaimed as the Christ. And now, heavenly, confirmation has shown up. Moses, the one who was the author of the law, who, who went up the mountain to meet with God and, and wrote the, the law. Elijah, who was the one of the greatest of the prophets. These two men who were uh, mediatorial rulers of very significant eras in God's, uh, in, in salvation history, if you will, in humanity. Two very special people that God has appointed to lead God's people, and both of them, the law and the prophets, all pointing to whom, church? All pointing to Christ. They were both communicators of the truth, pointing to this man saying, yes, he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. That's why they're there. Their presence confirms that Peter just confessed it. They now confirm it, and God will, in a minute, completely settle the matter with his voice. But before all that, these disciples, they are terrified. Uh, Jesus is having a conversation with Elijah and Moses and who pipes up? Peter, of course, right? Peter pipes up and he's like, they're, they're terrified, they're scared and he's just kinda like, uh, maybe we should make some tents, right? Like, how about, how about, how about three tents, right? Like, they're, they're just here and he's like, why? Well, let's not throw too much shade on Peter here. He probably just wants to be hospitable, right? It is night, there's guests here. He, in 1 Peter, he admonishes us to be hospitable, so he's just being hospitable. Like, let's make a tent. Let's give you a place to stay for the night. Maybe he's making the connection. He's hearing them talk about his death. He's just heard Jesus talk about his death. Maybe he's trying to prolong it. He's up on the mountain. He's terrified. Maybe he's just thinking to himself, like, I don't know, uh, Is now the time we're gonna die? Because I'm scared out of my mind and these two guys are here, are they gonna take you up with you? Well, let's just make a tent and prolong it. Let's think about what's happening here and make the decision in the morning, right? I don't know. I don't know. But what we do know is that Peter didn't know what to say because he was terrified and we say all kinds of regrettable things when we're afraid, don't we? When we're fearful, when we're we're afraid in our marriage, when we're afraid at work, when we're not necessarily even terrified, but when we're fearing man, we we say some things maybe that we don't regret or that we later regret, that we don't really mean. And here's, here's just some practical wisdom. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything, right? I think that's what he's trying to teach us here. When you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. Rather, look to the sun. Whether you're terrified whether you're troubled when you are confused when you find yourself in a place like king jehoshaphat and he prays in second chronicles 20 verse 12 he says when we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you and that's where we turn. We, 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 instead of trying to take matters into our own hands, instead of trying to figure it all out, we think that if, well, if we just do more, maybe things will change, my situation will change. I'm confused, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And Jesus, I think, is just calling us here to just look to the sun. We don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, but our eyes are on the sun you know what's pretty amazing here? This, this same word here that's used to describe Jesus' bodily change is also what the scriptures use to describe our salvation, our spiritual change. That, we, uh, you know, that if, if you're a believer, if you're being transformed, then, then you have become a new creation. You've become a new creature you know, and I actually, I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 3. I'll just read it to you. If you wanna turn there, you can, but you don't have to. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And Paul says it this way. He says, and we all, speaking of believers, those who've repented of their sin, who've put their faith in Christ, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being, here's that word, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and here's the glorious reality that we who are believers that as we look to the sun as we behold jesus in his glory as we turn to him when we don't know where to go when we turn to him and and just look to him that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another that we are going from caterpillars to butterflies and that happens when we look upon the glory of of the sun you can't help but look to christ and be changed he will change you whether really sometimes whether we like it or not just like as as water becomes to start to boil as it is put upon the heat even if it doesn't want to it just begins to raise in temperature one degree to the next and this is what happens when we look to the sun this is the purpose of our worship Do you ever think of that? This is why we live a life of saying Christ is more valuable. The charge to look to the sun is really a call to worship, of seeing and savoring Jesus, of viewing and valuing him above all things. This is what happens when our eyes go vertical to God's great sun. And when our eyes are, that is where our feet will move in the right direction. We look to the sun. We look vertically. When we look inward, beloved, when we look inward to find yourself, then your feet move away from the Lord and to yourself. When we look outward, when our eyes go outward, even that can be a trap. for There is a never-ending list of needs and sins and temptations upon which to look. But when we look to the sun, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, like a stake taken from Room temp from the refrigerator, put on that grill and going to medium rare temperature, right? One degree at a time, no jumps, no rushing. Just like the morning sun warms a cold body as it rises, so too the beloved sun warms the cold dead heart as his glory radiates. Look to the sun. Church, look to the sun and you will be changed, even if your circumstances never do, even if your suffering never ceases, even if your load never lightens. But God will be doing a great, even greater work in you, transforming you as you look to the sun. So, here's the truth spiritual butterflies even hatch in the rain, we hatch in the rain. But when we are looking to the Son, see, Peter, James, and John, they are beholding the Son in all his glory, and they will forever be changed. But when we look at someone, we also hear them a lot more clearly, don't we? We hear them a lot more clearly. If I want to communicate something to my kids, uh, what do do I say to them? Look at my eyes. Ever do that? Look at my eyes. If I want them to hear me, if I want them to listen to me, if I have something important to say, I say, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes, and as they do, as they look, we also listen to the Son. We listen to the Son. Look, look at, with me now in verse seven here. They're, the disciples are terrified. Peter, James, and John, they're terrified. And now here in verse seven, a cloud overshadows them and a voice booms, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. If they were terrified, now they're probably even more terrified. They're up on a mountain. It's pitch black, remember? They're with their friends. Now one of their friends just starts shining brighter. Two other guys show up and they start talking and they're saying things that they don't understand. And now the fog rolls in and it's making it more difficult to see. And like James Earl Jones' voice just like enters into the picture. Now they are extremely terrified, extremely terrified. But even in this scene, we can't help but see the Old Testament connections here, can we? See, as Moses went up on the mountain, what does it say in the book of Exodus? That the cloud descended. As he would go into the tent of meeting to meet with the Lord, what would descend down upon the tent? A cloud. This isn't modern theatrics of like smoke machines and voiceovers and things. This is the presence of God. His Shekinah glory that would descend upon that only Moses could go into. And now what's actually phenomenal is that these three disciples are even there with Christ. And these two, Moses and Elijah. And then we get some pretty simple words from the Father confirming who Jesus is. This is my beloved Son and and commanding our joyful response. Listen to him. And almost as if on cue, then suddenly, look at verse eight, suddenly it all vanishes. It all vanishes. They're, they're looking around, it says. They're like, wait, what just happened? You know, all these things are terrified and now it, it all vanishes. Jesus is back to normal. The people are gone. The cloud is up and it's dark and they're just like, hey, wait. What, what, what just happens? I saw no one but Jesus only. See, when all the clouds, when all this stuff goes away, we are left with Christ. We're left with Christ all vanishes and then without really any sort of commentary on it now they're just well what else do we have to do we're not building tents we're not staying here there's no hotel the ski resort's not built on mount Hermon yet and so what have they got to do they go in verse 9 they were coming down the mountain they're coming down the mountain jesus having another walk and talk to debrief the ev- the events right that's what it says he's just he's coming down the mountain he's telling them they're talking about it but what does he tell them one thing Keep quiet about it all until after the resurrection. When you see the Son of Man risen from the dead, then you can talk about it. Then you can talk about it, because then it'll all make more sense. I know you're all confused right now, and so Jesus, in his kindness, he is letting them experience these things, but they still are too confused. They're confused. They're confused. But they're trying to make sense of it all, aren't they? They're not totally clueless. They're not totally clueless. Look what it says here. There's, there's a connection. He says, they kept the matter to themselves and they're questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. And they make a connection then in verse 11. They ask Jesus, well, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Well, they, they know their Bibles. At least they knew the last verses of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. They know the, the last verse, Micah, or Malachi, rather, Malachi four, five, that talks about Elijah coming, and now they're seeing this, uh, Elijah's here, and so the wheels are turning, right? The wheels are, are turning. It's like some of y'all, you ask me questions, you've just read Revelation, and you say, hey, Pastor, like, I was reading Revelation, it's talking about like a white horse and a dragon, and then, you know, like, what does this all mean? Right? We try to help make sense of it. I'm still trying to make sense of it all, even in myself, but they knew that. They're making connections. Micah 4 or 5 here. Let me just read it for you. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. That's quite a way to end the Old Testament, right? This is like the last verses there. Like, there's this promise, but also this warning of destruction. And so they knew this. They knew what was to come. And Jesus has to explain it to them. This is really good, actually. It's good. It's a good thing. They're not like, they're not just asking like a random question. This isn't like stumped to Jesus while you're walking down the mountain. They're actually making biblical connections. They've read their Bibles. They're, they're, they're trying to make sense of the world. And so Jesus then explains the purpose and the person of Elijah. Look what he says. He says he comes first to restore all things and really to announce that the son of man would come, that he would suffer. And this, uh, this Elijah has come. And Matthew just spells it out for us. For who was the Elijah that would come to announce the coming of Jesus and then would be uh, persecuted, put in jail, and then beheaded for being the announcer of Christ who would come? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he would come. Elijah has come in the form of John the Baptist and they did to him whatever was pleased. He has come. But see, they are listening to the sun. They're listening and being transformed. See, church, when you've experienced the transforming presence of God, you're changed. You can't help but be warmed. And let me just like, talk about it, because we sang a song about it this morning, but when we talk about the presence of God, we can really mean two things. We can mean two things. You ready for a little theology lesson this morning? You ready for it? When we talk about the presence of God, we can talk about His omnipresence, right? The, the fact that God is present uh, all the time, everywhere, right? There is not a cubic inch of the universe that God does not and cannot occupy by His uh, very presence, right? Now that's a very comforting thought—that wherever we go as believers, God is with us. It can also be a terrifying thought, right? To know that oh, God was there with me then. But it is a comforting thought to know that God, by His Spirit, goes anywhere, hears everything, sees all things, is present everywhere. But there is also, as we look through the scriptures, there is also the reality of God's manifest presence, where He is at work where God is especially at work and the effect of his uh, presence is clearly seen. When lives are being transformed, when people are being saved, when we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, when you take a step in maturity, God is at work transforming you one degree, one step at a time. As you take a step away from your sin and towards Christ, he is transforming you. He is manifestly present. And he's always at work. It's where our pillars come from. When God's word is preached, when God's son is worshipped, when God's people are praying, when we as believers are sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, God is specifically and actively at work through his presence, and we can see and feel the effects of it. So you can't help but be in his presence. You can't help but listen to the Son and be changed. And so how do we do that? How do we do that now? How do we listen to the Son? Jesus isn't here. We're on this side of the cross. And so how do we do this? Well, Peter, the one who is asking these questions, actually gives us some help to that in his second epistle. This is so fascinating to me. Listen to this in Second Peter 1, beginning in verse 16. This is Peter later in life, probably decades after uh, he actually was there on Mount Hermon seeing Jesus transfigured. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. He's like, we're not making this up, right? This isn't just like some like wild woven web that me and my buddies like uh, put together to try to trick humanity. If that was the case, they, they were... Intelligent beyond really human ability. The fact that Christ and Christians are, Christ is being proclaimed, Christians are still uh, being made and following Christ some 2,000 years later would be the most clever myth ever. But this wasn't the case. He says, "But we were what, eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Who was there on Mount Hermon with him? Peter, James, and John. But then he goes on. He says, but we have, and we have, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. How do we listen to the Son? Through the prophetic word more sure that we have. That has been confirmed. We do well to pay attention, as it says, to listen to the Son by listening to the word more fully confirmed, the scriptures, the scripture alone. And what he'll actually go on to just talk about how the scripture was transferred, how we have it. But we listen to the Son by obeying his word of being in the scriptures. Prophetic word, the spoken word written down for us that has been confirmed confirmed and confirmed and confirmed and confirmed and confirmed and confirmed, life after life, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. You see, some may downplay the Bible because it's old, it's out of date, it's irrelevant. People didn't struggle with the same issues back then as they do now. It doesn't have the answer for today's problems which I think one is just supreme hubris to think that we like have somehow you know, mastered different sins than people did so long ago. But really, since the beginning of mankind, the scriptures have been changing lives. See, when we listen to the Son, when we obey his word that has been uh, confirmed time and time again, uh, there's more lives of true, lasting change when we come to the scriptures. See, we are a people of the book. We are a people built on the word, and yet, and yet sometimes we think scientific observations, therapeutic opinions have something better to offer us. No, we listen to the sun, church. We listen to the sun. We don't listen to our heart. We don't listen to others. Our heart is a dangerous place, right? What does Jeremiah 17, 9 say? It says that a, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. Now, our heart is the problem, but Jesus is the solution see we look to the sun we listen to the sun and if our heart is telling us something that contradicts the word we should assume that we are wrong for proverbs 30 says that every the word of god every word of god proves true do you need refuge do you need safety do you need joy do you need help do you need direction do you need wisdom do you need provision then listen to the sun Peter, James, and John had some Bible questions. They asked Jesus, because he was right there with them. And so you might be saying, like, well, how, like, we don't have Jesus right here. But he himself said that we, he, it is better that he goes away. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus say it is better that he goes away? Because the Spirit would come. The Spirit who would indwell us who believe, this Holy Spirit who would help us in our time of need, the Holy Spirit who brings God's word to mind. He has given us his word that is more fully confirmed. He has given us his people to help us listen, to help us look to the sun when we are too weak to do so, when we are, 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 are straying away to look at other things. God has given us the people of God to help us listen church when we look to and listen to the beloved son we will be changed i pray that this is forever the message of this church that this is forever the the message and the in the mission of our ministries as our gathering here at Fryhide elementary comes to a close and we move into 311 fm 306 that we will still look and listen to the beloved son captivated by his holiness, conformed into the image of his beloved son. And that the thrill of adventure would pale in comparison to the thrill of adventure of following Jesus and making him known. That we would be a people quick to say, come and look, look at this Christ that we would be excited, that, we, that the joy of our salvation would be renewed in us, that that would be our message, that that would be our motivation, that we would be a people quick to listen to the scriptures even when we don't want to, with our eyes fixed and our ears attuned in to what God is doing among us. May this be the mission and the message of our church forever and ever as we look to the one who has been confirmed that he is the Messiah and all of his glory and all of his goodness and that we who are his people will be transformed, changed from one degree of glory to the next. Amen? Amen, let's pray together now. God in heaven, here we are. You are looking at us. You are uh, among us and in uh, our presence. So Lord, there's, this is a, a, a passage like this is, is, is so interesting, God. As we make sense of it, as we, as we see you, just then get a little glimpse of your glory and what happened on that mountain. That's sometimes the case in our own heart we just get a little glimpse and wonder and we're confused we're terrified and yet it is exactly there that you come and meet us Lord and so even today as we behold you as we think deeply upon your holiness this may terrify some in this room I pray, God, that it would be a reverent fear of you. That they would not run, but that they would look and listen to you. Maybe, God, there may be some in here are just confused, confused about life, confused about what they're to do, confused about a relationship, confused about a situation and work, confused about what all this means, just with the faith, and is it worth it? Confused about a particular theological knot. It's like, God, can't be true. I don't know, God. It seems unfair. God, in our confusion, would we look to you? Would we listen to you and delight in the truth? Help us, God. Help us. We've said we're poor and needy. We need you. And yet you are, God, you are just so good to always answer us, Lord. We're thankful this morning, then. We're thankful. And so we want to worship you. That's what we do. We want to look to you now in worship as we think on what you've done on the cross. As we think about your coming again, God. Some of that confusion's been torn away and now we have greater clarity this side of the cross. So we worship you now in spirit and truth. Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you respond with me as we worship together? Just stand up, and sing this song.